As you find your seats, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 14, Genesis 14, and as you do, or before you do, let's go to the Lord in prayer. I know I need the Lord's blessing, so let's ask him to come and bless. Let's pray together. Father God, what hope we have that through your son, you truly do make everything glorious as they were designed to be. You know, as I, as I pray that and we sang that, I just couldn't help but picture the images of the week and all the things that weren't glorious, all the things that were lost and all the things that are broken and all the things that are left undone and, and all the things that just hurt. Do you really make everything glorious? God, I know that you do because of the work of your son. And I know that 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 work has begun to transform and to make new all things. And yet we stop and we look around the world that we see and we look inside to the world that we have inside and, and we long for more. We long for you to make everything glorious through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So God, come, come right now in the presence of your people through the preaching of your word and and God, reveal to us your glory and make us glorious so that we could be a blessing to the world around us. God, would you give us ears to hear your voice? Father, would you give us minds to understand your glorious word. And God, I pray that you would be with each heart here in this room. Because some of our hearts are just so hardened because of sin. And some of our hearts are just so darkened because of unbelief. But God, we ask that you'd come and you do that which only you could do, that you'd even transform our hearts. So they too can embrace your love and become glorious. And God, we ask that you would come with such power that, that God, when we walk out of here, you'd empower our feet to walk in a manner that's worthy of your name, uh, in a manner that even as we stumble and fall, is glorious to you. And God, I pray that uh, uh, you just bless your people this morning. Come be with your people. The things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true, that contain the good news of Jesus, use those very things to make us glorious in your sight. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it's March. March is here. That means what? March? March Madness. That's right. Which is a, a time of year that... Uh, the world kind of turns upside down because of some little basketball tournament and some crazy uh, tournament of 64 teams gathering together. Uh, it really is an exciting time of the year. For those of you who right now are saying, what in the world is he talking about? What is March Madness? What is the NCAA tournament? No problem. It's just something the rest of the world is involved in. It won't change your eternal life. But what's the hope of March Madness? The hope every year is that there'll be a Cinderella story. 
I mean, every March, what we hope for is that some team will emerge out of the field of 64, some team that you don't know, you haven't heard of, you don't know any of their players, and they're going to beat the Goliaths. They're going to go head-to-head with those teams that have big names and lots of dollars, and they'll emerge as the Cinderella story. We all love the Cinderella story, except for me right now. Uh, the Cinderella team is the Dayton Flyers. Uh, uh, last night, uh, they went and beat my Syracuse Orangemen. And so, to the Dayton Flyers. I mean, no, but the truth is, it's still a Cinderella story. Now, by the way, this was going to be my opening all week, all right? And so, even though uh, it happened last night, and there's a little bit of difference to it, there's a little sting in the story right now. Because the one wearing Cinderella's shoe happened to take down my favorite team. But still, it's a great story. It's a story of uh, uh, the little guys who, who uh, rise up to beat the big ones. Now, I got to throw a little shout out. Those Gators are in the Sweet 16, right? Any Gator fans here? All right, all five. I've told all my Gator fans, uh, friends, that now, for me, that my team's out, it's the rest of the field versus the Gators, right? And so... Let's just go. But anyway, hey, this morning, if we look to God's word, we're going to see a Cinderella story of the Bible. Uh, it's going to have a feel of March Madness. It's going to be something much more important than a basketball tournament. Uh, entire chapter of Genesis 14 is a story of kings at war. I mean, the whole focus of this chapter is going to be war. It's like, it's like a bracket. If you could look at the Bible and you fill out a bracket, you get to Genesis 14 because it lists the name of 25 kings. Kings are listed 25 times. And there's going to be uh, a Cinderella that's going to emerge out of this story. Someone kind of out of nowhere. As a matter of fact, the one who wins the day, the one who wins the battle, he's not even given the name king. His name's Abram. We've been studying him. But the cool thing about Scripture is what God is revealing to us through this very story is the rightful king of God's promised land is Abraham. And Abraham is going to have this incredible victory. Uh, This, not this March Madness victory, this victory over war, but ultimately we're going to see that God is the one who brings victory. All right, quick recap. Uh, We've been back into the book of Genesis. Uh, We picked up the story in Genesis at the end of 11 and 12. And really we're focusing on a man named Abram, who God's going to change his name to Abraham. Now, no matter where you are in life and your understanding of God and his story, Abram is a central figure that we must understand. Because really it's through Abraham that God's people are blessed. Abraham in many ways is like this. He's the epicenter of blessing in the Old Testament. He is the the place, and this is how God operates. God chooses those to call to himself. Uh, He chooses those he chooses to bless. And as he blesses them, like he blesses Abraham, he blesses all nations through them. And so God has come to Abraham, and he has made incredible promises to him. As a matter of fact, he's promised to Abraham everything that the that we long for, he's promised him a name. He says, Abraham, I'm going to give you a great name. I'm going to give you an enduring name. And out of Abraham, he says, I'm going to make you a great nation. But there's even more. Abram's got a barren wife, his wife, Sarah. They have no kids. 
But God has come to him and says, listen, I'm going to bless you so much. You're going to have more descendants than the stars in the sky. You're going to have more descendants than the dust of the earth. And and God says, I am going to bless all nations through you. Well, the biggest of God's blessing that we'll see through Abraham is through his offspring, through his seed. That there really will be one who will come. The true ultimate Cinderella story. The ultimate warrior. The ultimate king. And, and it's going to be through Abram uh, and Abraham that this king will come. And guess what his name is? Jesus. And it's through that seed that the, truly all the nations of the earth will be blessed. But one thing we realize about Abram. And this is guy, I mean, wow. God has pulled him to himself. And God has said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you some more. But you got to understand this, church. Those that God loves and those that God blesses, they also face tests and trials. They also live in difficulty. And it's so beautiful to see someone like Abraham. You know, God really loved him. And, And he was right with God because he had faith in God. He was rescued just like we are by God's grace through faith. And he was a child of God. But just because he was a blessed child of God, let me tell you, he wasn't exempt from the, what the world's temptations and trials and the junk that flows into our lives. I mean, as soon as God blesses them, there's a famine. Isn't that like God sometimes? Man, in your best day, you're going to have some great stuff. And all of a sudden, there's a famine. And there's that test of famine in his life. And he failed it. I mean, Abram just walked right away from God, walked right out of God's promised land, right away from God's promises and went to a place called Egypt and there tried to find his identity and his security. But God was gracious and he rescued him. But then God, and we saw last week, not only was he tempted and tested by famine, he was also tested with prosperity, with too much stuff. Because listen, sometimes it's our stuff could become our security. Sometimes our stuff could become our identity. Sometimes our stuff could become our joy. Sometimes our stuff could become our hope. But this test, he passed fine colors. He had faith in God. He says, no, God, you are my hope. You are my identity. You are my joy. Well, today we're going to see he faces another trial. And it's really, it's a trial of war. It's a trial from the forces without. And it's more than just the trial of war and those things that are raging around him. It's, it's how you and I, listen, it's how you and I are affected by what's going on out there. It's how you and I are getting affected by what's going on in here. But even as we look at his life, it's not just how does he deal with the war that rages around him? How does he deal with the power that's offered to him from this world? The power that the world offers to him. So as we turn to Genesis 14, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the background. This morning, we're going to look at all of Genesis 14. But in the first uh, 16 verses, we're going to mention these kings over and over and over again. But instead of me reading to you uh, names of kings I can't pronounce and cities we don't know about, I'm going to show you what's happening. So there'll be a picture that's emerging here. Um, This is the story of Genesis 14. You're going to have... Uh, four kings that are going to emerge in this area right here. The first one is going to eventually be in that Babylon area. And they are going to join together and they're going to battle five kings here in this promised land. So you have four versus five. Uh, You have uh, Abram is going to be living right here in this area. Uh, You have, if you remember last week, uh, Lot chose for himself to go and live by Sodom and Gomorrah. So he is down in this area. Now, here's what's happening in this March Madness of war. 
Uh, and by the way, these four kings are for the Mesotomian area, and the five kings are the Canaanite kings. Uh, and these include modern-day Iran, Iraq, Turkey, and the Persian Gulf. Has there ever been any war in that area? I mean, is that not always an area of a hotbed of wars and rumors of wars? And, and this is what's going to happen. So what happens here is these four kings unite because these five kings stopped paying tribute to the four other kings, or really one king. Um, this isn't a time where might makes right. This is a time when you got the biggest sword and the strongest people you own the day. And so what happened, I, I, when you read this, I got to tell you, I kind of think like a New Yorker. It kind of sounds like the mafia to me. They were those who won a battle, and now they said, we own this corner. And because we own this corner, you got to pay up. You got to pay. You got to pay a tribute. And for 12 years, these five kings kept shelling out money to these other kings to say, you're better, you're superior, you win, you're awesome, we're awful. And in the 13th year, they revolt. They said, enough, we're going to fight. So the story of Genesis 14 is that these four kings going back down here and absolutely devastating the five kings that were revolting. They swing by Sodom and Gomorrah, and guess who's there, living there now? Lot, and they capture Lot and all of his stuff. And they take him right up this red line all the way to a place called Dan at the tip of the promised land. And then word gets out that guess what? Lot was taken in this war. And someone came over and they told Abram. And Abram grabbed 319 guys. Uh, interesting number, kind of like the movie 300. Uh, he grabbed 300. Whatever the number of significance, I don't know. But here's the point. He was well un, uh, grossly undermanned. And he went up and he found those victorious kings and he captured them. And he chased them uh, all the way to this area right here. And then he returns back with all the spoils, with Lot and all he has, and he worships God right there. All right, that is Genesis uh, 14. 1 through 16. Now let's pick up the story right there in verse 17. Hear God's word. After his return from the defeat of Shadorlamar and the kings who were with him, those of the northern one, the king of Sodom, he was part of the losing, he was part of the five that were lost, went out to meet him at the valley of Shevev. That is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, more on him later, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Kind of like this is a victory dinner. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him, this king Melchizedek, a tenth of everything he had, he tithed. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, don't forget, he's the losing king. He has no rights. And yet he says in demand, give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand like to swear to the Lord God, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. 
I will take nothing but what the young man have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Aner, Ashel, and Mamre take their share. Let us pray. And Father, as we see this map and we hear these words, this story can feel so far away, so ancient, and truthfully, maybe even so irrelevant. But God, this is your word. And you desire to speak to your people through it. So let us hear. Let us receive. Let us learn. Let us grow. God, come. Come with your Holy Spirit and shine so that we can glorify you as we listen to your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I want to follow along with a bulletin, uh, outline in the bulletin you can. The first thing is this, being a casualty in the world's battles. Being a casualty in the world's battles. If you remember the story last week of Lot, uh, Lot chose uh, for himself where to live. Um, Lot and Abram were together. They had so many blessings, so much stuff that they could no longer live together. Uh, their herdsmen were arguing. There was fighting. And so there needed to be a separation. And then Abram, this amazing man of God, let Lot choose first, although Abram was the greater. And Lot did something very interesting, something that you and I have the tendency to do. Something is quite sinful. Lot chose for himself. A lot didn't consult the Lord. He really didn't even consider his uncle Abram. But Lot looked around the land and he said, where's the best place for me to go? Where's the best place for me to thrive? Where's the best place for me? And because of that, where he looked to was some place that looked like Egypt. Red flag in the Bible. God's people shouldn't be looking for places that look like Egypt. It said it looked like the promised land. Red flag for us. That's temptation there. But what Lot did is this. He says, I'm going to choose to live my life really close to a place that Scripture tells us was filled with evil. A place called Sodom. A place called Gomorrah. And there he established his life. There he he pitched his tent. But now when we get to this story, guess what? He's no longer outside of Sodom. Guess where he is? He's right there. He's right in the city. And my brothers and sisters, this is the first thing we got to glean from this. That the world wants to draw us away from the promises of God. The world wants to show us that that our identity should be found away from God. And the closer we get, the more it wants to suck us right into the center of all that it has to offer. You see, in many ways, uh, Lot, because of where he was, uh, was a casualty of war. When Sodom fell, he fell too. Here's the point. Don't get too close to the battle. Don't get too close to the battle that's, that's raging. Scripture wants us to do this. It wants us to anticipate a battle. Scripture tells us that, that there is a war raging and not just, not just a physical war, but there is an enemy who hates you, who hates your marriage and your family. There is an enemy that would love to destroy you if he could. There is an enemy that would love to rob you of, of, of peace and joy that is ours in Christ Jesus. And so God's word tells us, and I love this uh, as we get to Paul in the New Testament, he says, for you and me, we put on the full armor of God. Why we put on the armor of God? Because we are in a battle so we could take a stand against Satan's schemes. The point is this. Be prepared that you live in a fallen place. 
Be prepared to anticipate the battles that rage around you outside and inside. Be prepared by putting on the full armor of God. I love what uh, one of the commentators wrote uh, about Lot. He says, you know, when you live that near to a pigsty, you can't help but smell like a pig. How is it with you? Where are you aligning your life? Where are you choosing to, to live? Where, where, where are you choosing to, to go? Where, where do you go on the internet? Uh, where do you go uh, uh, in your free time? Where, where are you choosing to align your life? Is it close to Sodom? Is it close to what the world has to offer? If so, we can see the casualties of the battles around us. This week, this week I had the privilege of help trying to pick up broken pieces of a broken life, of, of one who wanders, who decides to go and live what the world has to offer, just to come back and say, I was so wrong. I was so broken. Can God fix this? Casualties in the fallen world happen because you and I have the propensity to make dumb decisions. We have the propensity to leave the promises of God and look for places like Egypt or Sodom. And God in his grace says to us, the safest place for you, listen, the most glorious place for you, the place of blessings right next to me. Casualties from bad decisions. But I got to tell you something else. There are going to be casualties in the world's battle because you know what? We live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world and there's some pretty awful things that happen around us. For some of you remember, right around Christmas time, I had the privilege of going up to our denominations conference center and speaking to youth. And as I was there, I I got the chance, the privilege to meet Bethany face to face. And I've been praying for Bethany. Bethany's an 11-year-old girl that that went in for surgery, a little lump on her leg that they got it all, but they had to do some pathology report and, oh, it was cancer. And when they took a scan of her body, it's all over. And the day I spoke, the first day I was there, that that she was there and I'll never forget her face. I'll never forget what the the, the star that she wore and the glitter on her shirt. And it really, what broke my heart is I knew that what she didn't know, that the next day, Bethany was going to go up to Maryland out of state and receive some radical medical treatments to help her cancer. You know, it's interesting the way her parents have battled this. They've told the doctors every day that we don't want to know the statistics, and we, we don't know, want to know. All we want to know is we're going to do, we feel called to do everything we can do to fight for our daughter. And man, have they. And then you follow along on the, the Facebook and you realize, he says, this is the day has come that there was the hardest day of all that we had to tell Bethany the fight's over. We can't do more. And help prepare an 11-year-old girl for a journey home, to realize what a warrior she's been. And there's a place that God is preparing her that is going to set her free from cancer. And I got to tell you, as Katie and I read the blog and you read the faith of an 11 year old or a father of an 11 year old who's telling his daughter she's going home, saying, oh, God, your grace is magnificent in the darkness. I couldn't do it apart from the grace of God. You see, There are going to be casualties to war just living in a fallen world. Some of them because of our sinful decisions. Some of them like Bethany. 
just because she lives in brokenness. Yesterday, I had the privilege of going to, uh, with my son Caleb to the Miracle League. Uh, this whole last week over spring break, uh, the Orangewood baseball team has been involved in a tournament. It seems like every day we played baseball. Is there anything better than spring break than baseball? But really, the, the, the capstone of the whole thing was going yesterday morning and seeing severely handicapped kids play in the Miracle League. And those that they would lift out of a wheelchair and, and, and someone would stand behind them and, and hold them so they could try to swing and hit the ball and then to be placed back in their wheelchair and wheeled around the bases. You know, in, in God's providence, uh, I, was, I was heading there to see it and I was a little bit uh, early, which I never am, but they changed time. So uh, I did what everybody does on a Saturday morning when you have more time than you don't know that you had. I went by Chick-fil-A for a, a chicken breakfast sandwich. I mean, those are, the chick, those are amazing, aren't they? And so as I did a detour, I, I, I just kind of wound up going by Keller Field. And Keller Field's in Maitland where uh, the Maitland Little League play. And it was a wonderful trip down memory lane as I used to coach there. And all my boys, my two boys, uh, grew up there in so many ways. And, and there I saw the parents. And there I saw the kids. And there I saw and I was remembering, man, what life was like. And an amazing thing, I made a few turns and drove down a couple different streets. And there I found something that looked eerily similar and completely different. The broken. Parents were there. Snacks were there. It was baseball. But you see casualties to the world's battles were there before me. And you know, my life became amazingly, I was just weary of me. As I sat there and I watched those kids, I just got weary of just thinking, all I do sometimes is think about me. Look at these kids. Look at the blessings that, look at the life that they have, even in the midst of their brokenness. God, aren't you calling me to more? Aren't you calling me to, to help What can I do? That's the second point. Rescuing our brothers lost in battle. Rescuing our brothers lost in battle. It's it's amazing because every time Lot is identified in chapter 14, he's called brother. It really wants to make sure that, that Abram sees this one as his family. And when it comes to Lot, when it comes to helping anybody, there's two questions that go through our mind. Anytime we see someone in, my, in need, here are the two questions that are universally asked by every single one when you see someone in need. First one is this, do they deserve it? Come on, be honest. Don't you get off, you get off the little freeway, they're there standing there, oh man, you look like you can work. I mean, do they deserve it? Do they really deserve it? Is this a need that, that is it self-inflicted? I mean, somehow we think, do they deserve it? The second thing we say is this, can I afford it? I mean, not only do it, how much will this inconvenience me? Can I afford the time? Can I afford the dime? Can I afford what, what's being asked? You know, if we put this through the questions, those two questions, put Lot through the questions of those two, he doesn't come out very well. First one is this, does he deserve it? Have you ever heard of someone say, they made their bed, let them lie in it. This lot, you moron, you pick Sodom. This is what happens. If you live that close to evil, guess what? You're going to get burned. So Abram could have said, you know what? He got to learn a lesson. Let me, let me make sure that he understands that you can't choose evil. He doesn't deserve it. Well, what about inconvenience? What is Abram willing to risk what is Abram willing to risk to go rescue Lot? You ready for this? Everything. 
absolutely everything. God's promises, his very own life, his very own stuff. I mean, he puts it all on the line for rescue. Who does he look like? Who is Abram looking like in this story? Rhetorical question? Pause? Pastor asks a question? Always a good answer is Jesus. Okay, let's look at that for a minute. God so loved the world that he would send his only son. That's an amazing love, isn't it? But there's more than that. Let me tell you what's even more than that. God demonstrates his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ came to die. Here is the point. If God asks the question himself, are they deserving of what I could give to them? The answer is a universal, eternal, resounding no. Holy God owes us nothing. We have messed up, fallen short of his glory. If we demand from God justice, we deserve hell. But the amazing thing about our father, the amazing thing about our God is he leads with grace and mercy. And he's got a thing for sinners. Thank God. Thank God for grace. It's a radically amazing that none of us deserve it. Listen, and yet he came. What did it cost him? What did it cost him? It cost the eternal God, the second person of the Trinity, to put on flesh. What did it cost him? It cost him for the first time in all of eternity to be separated from his father on the cross. What did it cost him? It cost him being spit upon. It cost him being mocked. It cost him being crucified. It cost him shedding his blood. It cost him his tomb. It cost him everything but he's willing to pay it for you. He's willing to do it. What an amazing God we have. Jesus risked everything so that we could receive all things. You see, Christian, that's our call. God has rescued us. Why? So that we can be rescuers. Do you get it? God has called us so we can be a part of the rescue story. God has called us so that now we are the salt of the earth. Now we are the light of the world. Now we are the one who seek of our lost brothers and sisters to say, turn home, come back. Come back and, and, and find the blessings of the Father. Now here's the reality is, is if you put the world's problems on your shoulders, you're not gonna do anything because it's gonna crush you and you're gonna be able to say, I can't do anything. But that's not true. God has made you his, and God has made you his ambassador. And God's, the world's problems will crush you, but what is next to you? What specifically is next to you that is lost and broken that God is calling you to show the light of Christ to, to move into, to be you in love with Jesus? It's all you got to do. He has the power. Listen, the power of God is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of salvation. And he chooses to use you and me to distill that power to others. Let me tell you, the lost and the broken, they live next to you. They might be in your own roof. They're in your next cubicle. (laughs) They're certainly next to you on I-4. The lost, we have the privilege of being a part of the rescue team. Just like Abram did with Lot. We have many ministry partners here at Orangewood that you can partner with. Um, come, Come with us, you have to reinvent the wheel. But I'll tell you this, this church, you, me, we have to be those who rescue our brothers in battle. 
And lastly, acknowledging God's victory in battle. All right. Did you hear what I read? This was kind of an interesting scene. Did anybody feel like they're in the Lord of the Rings when I read that? I mean, it's, it's kind of like you have this story emerging of all these battling kings, and then you have these two kings appear. And i got to spend just a minute explaining to you who these two kings are. Uh, but again, this is all under acknowledging the victory in the battle is always by God's grace, always by God's grace his. But here you have emerging two kings. You have Abram goes and he gets Lot and he, and he kicks the backside of these, these four big kings who had just de- defeated these five kings. He's coming back with all the spoils. And then all of a sudden you have this scene where emerging is this one king uh, called Melchizedek. And he's got this really strange title. He's called Priest of the God Most High. And his very interesting name, he, his name means, ready for this, King of Righteousness. And he's king of a place called Salem, which is probably Jerusalem. But does anybody know what Salem means? Peace. So you have, a, you have a king of righteousness who's the king of peace, who's the priest of the God most high. Does anybody know who he's pointing to? Jesus is a good answer. Another one who is the king of righteousness who is the king of peace, and who is the priest of the Most High God. And he appears like Gandalf. I mean, he disappears kind of out of nowhere in the story. And, and, and Abram sees him as clearly superior to him. He gives to him. He clearly sees as this is the one who is the mediator between holy God and his blessings and promises even to Abram. Melchizedek is going to appear in the Bible as a very important figure because he really will show us how Christ Jesus, although he's not from the tribe of Aaron, that he is a legitimate priest of God. Psalm 110. If you read Hebrews 6 and 7, you'll see how Jesus is affiliated and connected to Melchizedek. But again, there's so much there. But let me just back off and say, uh, clearly this is uh, God's man showing up to bring God's blessing. And to make sure that Abram knows the victory is God's. Then you have the king Sodom show up. What is he doing there? This is a defeated king. He's got no rights. He's got no claim. He should have no voice. And yet, what does he do? He shows up and he's demanding. He demands, give me, give me the people you keep the stuff. You know, the arrogance of the world. Uh, trying to dictate their own way. But what I love about Abram what we can't miss to see is this. He was a God-made man, not a man-made man. Let me say it again. He was a God-made man. He was a man-made man, not not a man-made man. What I mean by that is this. He acknowledged the victories of the Lord's. Scripture says it. How do you acknowledge the victories of the Lord's? He tithed everything he won. He just wanted to say, I want you to make sure that you know, God, that I know this victory is yours. And the way I'm going to make sure that you know that is I'm going to praise your name and I'm going to give back to you that gave to me. I'm going to show you that my identity is not found in what I want. I'm going to show you that my security, my worth is not in my stuff. And so the victory is yours. So I freely give because you freely given to me. Let's put it in your terms, in my terms. You know that everything you have is a gift of God. I mean, you don't think your paycheck is a paycheck because you've just earned it, do you? I mean, who gave you the ability to do it? Who gave you the knowledge? Who gave you the skill? It's all God's. Who's given you the grace to open your eyes this morning? 
Who's giving you the grace right now that keeps your heart beating? Who gives you the grace to be enveloped in his love and to be called a child of the king? Who gives you the grace to be forgiven? Who gives it to you? It's God. And what is our response? We say, God, it's all yours. I'm not going to be as crazy to find my identity in what I make and who I am, what I do. It's going to be in who I am. So we tithe. We give. Let me just ask you. That's, that's, a, that's a key indicator of your heart. That's a key indicator of, of where you are with God as far as do you really see that the victories is his. And a- a- Abram wants to make sure it's his. I love this fact because he wants to make sure that the king of Sodom, listen, I'm not going to take a sandal strap from you. I'm taking nothing from you. Because I don't want you to ever think that you made me. God makes me. Here's the point. Are you trying to find your identity and the worth in the world or in what God provides? Stuff is not the issue. Abraham was a very rich man. But what he would not do is this. He would not receive riches from the way the world receives it. He would not receive in a way that wasn't honoring to God. He wouldn't scheme. I wasn't planning on saying this. I said it in the early service and feel led to say it again to you. So let me, let me put it this way. I have one of those personalities that everybody who knows me thinks that I, m- I must have a sign on me somewhere that says, please ask me to be involved in your multi-level marketing scheme. And I mean, they think you talk a lot, you know a lot of people, you seem to have some sales skills. Let me get you in my down group or whatever you call it. It'd be great. Now, I want you to know, market, multi-level marketing schemes in and of themselves are not evil or wrong. And if that's what you do, and that's, if you could do it honorably and honor the Lord, that is fine. But I want you to know, I will never, I will never be in a multi-level marketing scheme, ever. And it's not that I'm against selling soap. I might be good at it. But here's the bottom line. I don't ever want to meet with somebody at Orangewood that is somehow thinking, is he meeting with me because he cares for me and because God's called him to? Or does he want me to buy soap? The point is, even if someone says, I will guarantee X amount of dollars, I can't do it. I've been called to something different. I have the privilege of standing up and opening up God's word and saying, man, look at the beauty of God. Now again, Whatever God has called you to, the question is, do it in a way that you realize it comes from his hand. That your calling is God's calling. Be careful of scheming with the world. Be careful to look for get-rich-quick schemes. God owns it all, right? Just, just be careful the way we go about gathering the world's stuff. The bottom line with Abram is this. He refuses to say any identity and power that the world has to offer, I want none of it. Any power God gives to me, I want to use for his glory. And everything I have, I want to show that I get it is from him. Is I want to tithe it and give it back and show it's from him. You know, the ultimate hero of this story is not Abram. It points to Melchizedek, but the ultimate hero in this story is God. I mean, he's the one. Listen, it's God's the one who's come. The ultimate king has come to rescue you and me. The ultimate king has come to to, to release us from the captivity of sin and hell and damnation. 
The one has come to give us life. And the one who's come named Jesus has come to make sure that, that even as the world's battles rage around us, here's the bottom line. You and I will not be ultimately identified by those battles. We're going to be identified by Christ. He is the king that set us free. He's the king that's given us hope. Bethany has hope. An 11-year-old girl is going to go home. And I wish the story were different. But I know that when Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you, he had Bethany in mind. And he know that when he said, better with me than in this world, he had Bethany in mind. I know that he has brought us victories over all of the world's battles. And now because of that victory we share, we have the privilege of looking for the lost to bring rescue to those who are just captured in what the world has to offer. And to live our lives, my brothers and sisters, may we live our lives proclaiming that every day is victory in Jesus. Let us pray. You know, Father, it's tough to live in a world where 11-year-old girls aren't safe. It's tough to live in a world that uh, you see those kids in the Miracle League and it just seems so unfair. Especially when they call out to their sons and they have the same name as our sons. And it's tough to live in a world where there's such a battle that rages outside and inside. And it's tough to live in a world where all we see is casualties. But we have hope that our king has conquered and that life reigns and that hope continues. And Jesus, we thank you that you risk it all to give us victory. And Jesus, we thank you that you didn't stop with the question, are we deserving? But your grace and your mercy drove you to come and drove you to give and drove you to risk. And because of Jesus' victory, we are victorious too. Bethany's victorious too. We have the privilege of waiting for everything to be made glorious, knowing that you will keep your promise and knowing that that reality will become ours when we see our Savior face to face. But until that day, would you give us hope for the battle? Would you give us courage for those who are lost? And may we live in light of your victory today and forevermore. Amen.